We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You're listening to Setting the Pace, your go-to Pacers podcast with Alex Golden and Michael Focci. Duarte, he knows where the clock is, lets it fly and hits again. It's Halliburton at the buzzer, Captain Kush with another one. Brogdon goes inside and Turner finishes. Halliburton leaves it off for Batase. Go, go, good job. Oh, what a move by Heald, he lays it in. Heald, hotter than fish grease. Drops it off to Jalen Smith. With the poster. Jackson the catch. Jackson the basket. Washington again. Five of them. Pacers got the steal. Out running is Brissett. Pounds it home. It to Taylor. Taylor missed it. Tips it in. Warren lets it fly. Yes! T.J. Warren is not human. Halliburton going to slam it at the other end. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode here of Setting the Pace. I'm your host, Alex Golden, and joining me as he does every week, the Ed Sheeran doppelganger himself, Michael J. Fachi. Fachi, what's going on, brother? Oh, man, the introductions just get better and better. Uh, <laughs> hey, I don't even know if I can take that one or if it's a compliment or not, but either way, man, we have an exciting episode for you today. We are doing draft duels once again, but this time, Alex, we got some pretty intriguing prospects. Yeah, so if the Pacers land a top two to three pick, maybe a top one, obviously, just a top three pick, there's a chance they get one of these guys. We're talking about Paulo Boncaro from Duke University and Jabari Smith from Auburn University. So this is going to be really exciting. These are two of the most intriguing players in the draft. I think Pacer fans all across the board, unless they're Jaden Ivey apologists, you know, that they can't tie them, they can't get themselves away from them. They're going all in on Boncaro and Jabari. So I think this is going to be really fun here. And I'm excited to talk about both these guys, Fudge. Yeah, compared to last week, look, it's not that by any means I'm a Johnny Davis hater or anything, but <laughs> I just, I'm just not as excited for Johnny Davis as I am for Paolo Jabari. I really yeah. feel like these are two, you know, elite level players that, you know, one, if not both of these guys, I think is going to be extremely successful in, in the NBA. But I look forward to breaking it all down with you because I feel like these are two players that you could be very much split on. Yeah, I mean, they're kind of similar because they play the same position, but they both bring very drastically different things to the table. Uh, so let's just start here with Paulo Boncaro, kind of get fans up to up to speed here with who Boncaro is and, and kind of his resume in high school and college. So 
Boncaro, six foot ten, power forward, two hundred fifty pounds. Went to Duke, has a seven foot one wingspan. Uh, you love seeing that. In high school, he was the uh, McDonald's All American and Jordan Brand, and was on the Jordan Brand Classic roster. He was the Washington State Gatorade Player of the Year. Max Preps National Junior of the Year on a five-star recruit. ESPN gave him a grade of 97, which is which is really high. Um, in college, he won the ACC All-Freshman, ACC Rookie of the Year. He was on the All-ACC team, All-ACC tournament, uh, NCAA All-Region Consensus All-American, and NCAA All-Tournament team. So, um, you know, his high school and his one year in college, he put up some pretty uh, – had some pretty good rewards there, Fachi, and, uh, you know, it paid off by getting all these honors. Absolutely. And then moving over to Jabari Smith, 6'10", 220 pounds. He's a power forward out of Auburn, 7'1", wingspan, same as Paolo, same height. Frame's a little bit different over there in terms of, you know, not being as filled out maybe. But as it relates to high school awards, he's got plenty of them. McDonald's All-American, Jordan Brand, classic roster, Mr. Georgia Gatorade Player of the Year, a gold medalist on the uh, 2019 FIBA Under-16 America's team, five-star recruit, the sixth overall ranked recruit of his class. And then as it relates to college, I mean, quite a few. First team all SEC, SEC all freshman first team, SEC freshman of the year, NABC freshman of the year, Wayman Tisdale Award, consensus second team All-American. I mean, quite a lot of honors for Jabari Smith. Can we just talk about Wayman Tisdale being a former Pacer? Oh, yeah. Hey. Oh, second pick nice. in the draft. That, that it was that it was but you know <laughs> I mean uh I, be, I believe I could be wrong was the Patrick Ewing year uh, I, I, I believe say, it was I want to say it's 1985 so yeah. a bit of a difference over there between you know Ewing and Tisdale but hey you know nothing but respect for a former Pacer <laughs> absolutely and uh would be cool to see a future Pacer getting a former Pacer award but um I, I think now would be a good time to look at both of these players regular season stats and tournament stats um, we didn't really get into too many tournament stats in the last episode that we did with Matherin and, and Johnny Davis, but I, I definitely want to look at these numbers. So just real quick, Von Caro, um, I did all the research for Von Caro and Fachi did all the research for Jabari Smith. So if you're wondering why we're kind of alternating, this is why. It was just so much information for us to both do double duty. It didn't make a whole lot of sense. So we're going to start here with Von Caro. Um, what I love here, Faji, he played and started in all 39 games. Uh, the last time I've seen the Pacers start and play in all, all, all of their games, I think it was Justin Holiday, and that's the only one. That so doesn't happen often. <laughs> no, it doesn't. So I, I think that's impressive. Uh, not really an injury-prone guy. He averaged 17.2 points per game, 7.8 rebounds, 3.2 assists, 47.8 from the field, 33.8 from three, and 72.9 from the free throw line. Per 100 possessions, had 113.8 offensive rating and a 98.1 defensive rating so I think right there I'll take a break Fachi and let you kind of uh, chime in here a little bit with Jabari Smith's stats up to that point but overall I think your biggest concern here looking at Boncaro's stats you would probably say I would like to see him be a little bit more efficient from the three-point line but overall it looked like his offensive rating and his defensive rating um, are, are pretty good you know it looks like a net rating of 15 there 15.7 so at that point, you're talking, this is a positive player when he's on the floor. It is so hard to complain about that net rating. I mean, just something very promising over there. For, for Bank Harrow, I, I feel like there's endless potential over there. Yeah. Going over to Jabari Smith, he played and started in all 34 games. That tournament run was not quite as deep. Uh, 16.9 points per game, 
7.4 rebounds per game, two assists per game. He shoots just under 43% from the field, but he shot 42% from three, which is going to be the stat that jumps off the page. And then a hair below 80% from the free throw line at 79.9%. Going from a per 100 possessions, had an offensive rating of 116.5 and a defensive rating of 90.7. That is a massive, you know, differential over there 26 basically about 26 26. so 25.8 exactly 25.8 to be exact so you're getting a player that is really promising on both levels both guys are i mean when you hear jabari smith stats afterwards maybe it overshadows paulo's a bit but there's not many guys out there that are giving you know a, a plus 15 and above you know return rating yeah i would say the biggest thing that sticks out in a negative way for Jabari here is the 42 or excuse me 42.9 percent from the field yep you would like to see his overall field goal percentage be a little bit better especially seeing that he shot 42 percent from three that means that his two-point percentage is kind of meh it's not great especially for a bigger man like that but defensively I think that this just kind of points out how he's a little bit more of an impactful defender Mm-hmm. on the court than Boncaro at this point, uh, just based off these stats. So um, I always love looking at the accomplishments that these guys have achieved throughout the regular season. Obviously, they just both played one freshman year. So um, I'm going to go real quick here through Boncaro's accomplishments. He was first in points in the ACC with 671, first in field goals, 245, first in games with 39, second in defensive win shares, second in total rebounds, fifth in rebounds per game, fourth in win shares, fourth in free throw attempts uh, and free throws made, fourth in two-point field goals, fourth in points per game, eighth in usage percentage, and tenth in assists. I thought that was a lot of, like, really good stuff to be in the top ten. A lot of that he was in the top five. But I really was just kind of impressed overall with his numbers there. And I don't feel like the defensive win shares gets brought up enough, but the fact that he was second in the whole ACC in defensive win shares, I, I think maybe there's a little bit more to Boncaro defensively than people maybe uh, don't give him credit for. I completely agree. And I was one of those people that was a bit guilty of thinking, hey, this is a guy that I think could be really, really good offensively. But hey, he could still continue to grow into much more than that. He can continue to grow as a playmaker. He can continue to grow as a defender. All of that we'll get into, and I'm really excited for that. Uh, to a couple accolades for Jabari Smith at these will all be SEC uh, awards. He was third in win shares at 5.6, fifth in player efficiency rating. He was fifth in points per game. He was sixth in the SEC in field goals made, second in uh, three-point percentage, fourth in threes made, uh, eighth in rebounds per game, seventh in total rebounds. He was third in uh, def- with defensive rebounds at 199. Uh, fifth in SEC in free throws made and also had a usage rate of 27.5%. So a a lot of great stuff in there. You know, this is another guy that was basically top five in in pretty much, you know, many categories over there in the SEC. So uh, both players, very impressive as it relates to an accolade standpoint or maybe their their standings uh, in stats. So, you know, you're getting two really promising players. Bro, look at this. Both of them had a 27.5% of usage uh, percentage. Exactly, right? It's kind of weird. Uh, And that's what makes these two so intriguing. I think totally drastic teams too. Like you got to feel bad for Jabari Smith because if he had just the, you know, at least one or two players off that Duke team on his Auburn team, like maybe it helps him a little bit more. 
in terms of overall numbers. Obviously, he was relied upon more, I would say, than Boncaro. Jabari Smith was in terms of trying to put up points and stuff like that. But, yeah, man, uh, his point guard play, I feel really bad for him. We'll get into that later. But uh, now let's kind of close this part of the uh, part of this uh, segment out here. Talking about postseason play, obviously we know Boncaro and the Duke Blue Devils made it to the Final Four before they were eventually knocked off by North Carolina, ending Coach K's incredible career. But I, I think what's really interesting is seeing how these guys play when the moment is the biggest. And I wanted to see, okay, let's see what Boncaro does. Well, in five games in the NCAA tournament, he had a little bit of an uptick here, averaging 18.8 points per game prior to his 17.2. Rebounds were very similar. Uh, he went from 7.8 in the regular season to 7.6, so 0.2 tenths, not that big of a deal. Same drastic, uh, same small difference there between the assist uh, per game, regular season 3.2, and the postseason 3.4. This is where I was really intrigued, Fachi. The shooting percentage, 34 of 68 from the field, 50% in the tournament. On top of that, he takes a massive leap in the three-point shot, shoots 10 of 19 from three during the tournament, 52.6%. Okay, we're asking guys to hit 40%. He's hitting 52.6% in the toughest, you know, in one of the toughest environments of play in the NCAA tournament. And he hit some dagger threes that helped Duke get some big wins and get some uh, pull ahead leads there. So uh, other than that, I thought 16 to 22 from the free throw line, you'll take 72.7%. Sure. Would you like to be in the eighties and the nineties? Of course, obviously that's what is like superb, but 16 to 22, the fact that he was pretty accurate from the free throw line as well. Uh, I was really blown away by his postseason stats. There, there's no knocking his postseason stats because I feel like just like many others, once March Madness came around, I was glued to the TV and Bencaro was someone who, at times, I felt like shouldered a solid load for Duke, got some really big baskets when they needed it most, and he's definitely someone that stepped it up on the biggest stage. Moving over to Jabari Smith, I wish I could say the same, but he, str <laughs> he struggled in the tournament. Yeah. He did. There's no way to put it other than that. He averaged 15 points. He played three games in the tournament, so not as deep of a run that like Duke had. He averaged 15.6 points per game, so his points per game was a little bit down. Rebounds were significantly up, 12.6 rebounds per game. You know, that, that's almost five more rebounds per game, you know, closer to actually six. Four assists per game, you like to see that, but from the field, very much struggled. 14 of 45 from the field, that's 31%. Uh, you know, heralded as a really good three-point shooter all season. Struggled, eight of 25 uh, from three, which is just 32%, and 11 mm. of 18 from the free throw line, 61% for a near 80% shooter. So overall, there, you know, if you just watched March Madness, you did not leave impressed with Jabari Smith. I will say this. I felt bad for Jabari Smith watching his team play in the NCAA tournament because, quite frankly, he just had no help. None. And – who they play? Jacksonville State. They played Miami. Miami. Mm -hmm. Who was the other team that they played? If they played uh, three games, Texas A&M was in the beginning. Okay, Texas A&M. Okay, gotcha. So you know, not great, not great competition. I mean, Texas A&M was fine, but uh, you know, Miami had a good little run there. I mean, they played pretty good basketball in the tournament, so I'm going to give them that. But it all just comes down to guard play when it comes to the NCAA tournament for me. And if you have bad guard play, you're not going to win a lot of games. And I felt like defenders were draped on Jabari Smith because the guard play was just like so unpredictable. 
that it made it more difficult for him. And then he, there was times where I felt like he was trying to play bailout, trying to play hero and, and overstepping what he is, what his game is. And one of the things that I know we're going to talk about here in a little bit, I don't want to jump into it too much, uh, is just like his skill set overall. I don't think it really, you know, he's got some things to work on in terms of his overall skill set. But um, I just feel like if you look at these two players from the tournament, um, which a lot of executives do do that, Fletch, you know that. Um, we've heard multiple stories like, how do these guys play when the moment's the biggest? And so um, I, I felt like Bon Caro, you know, their teams had some tough matchups, but I, I don't want to take away from Jabari Smith and what Auburn had to face because the NCAA, NCAA tournament at the end of the day is a crapshoot. And uh, if any team gets hot on any certain night, you know, it's just one game. It's not like you're getting a, a series with these teams. So um, like you do in the NBA. So, you know, I think coaching wise, obviously coach K a light years better than Bruce Pearl. Let's just be honest. So, uh, yes, <laughs> recruiting wise too. So, you know, you got to give, you got to look at both of those when you're talking about it, but I, I do want to transition now, Fachi, and we're going to do a different thing. We kind of brought it up last, last time on the draft duels, but I want to talk about player comparisons, uh, that people have for these two players. And I want to start first with you, Fachi, with Jabari Smith. Yeah, so in terms of player comparison, always a tough thing to do, but I want to maybe go with a couple of different quotes that other people had, and then I'll go into you know something that I see. Uh, Kevin O'Connor said, a better version of Rashard Lewis mixed with some Kevin Garnett. I mean, that is quite the statement right there of like, whoa, that'll get you excited about anybody. Uh, NBA Draft Room said, a more perimeter-oriented Jaron Jackson Jr. Jaron Jackson Jr. took a big step forward over here, former fourth overall pick. Uh, so a lot of talent over there. Um, then also a few other ones, Brandon Ingram-ish, Michael yeah. Porter Jr. And then also one thing I saw, kind of shades of Chris Bosh. Chris Bosh was someone that, you know, when, when Bosh entered the league, big men were not sh really shooting like that as often. Bosh ended up developing into a really good three-point shooter, a solid rebounder. So I feel like, man, if you could even get a mix of some of the players I just named, I mean, you're getting a really, really good player. So that, that makes me really excited about Jabari Smith. Yeah, if you just heard the postseason stats and you're like, man, I'm kind of down on Jabari, just wait till you hear the player comparisons that me and Fachi have. <laughs> I got mine offline too. I, I didn't put any of these up for myself. I listened to like, you know, the Kevin O'Connors, the Jonathan Wassermans, uh, NBA draft room. There's plenty of different people out there that have um, player comps. And I kind of just looked at what everybody was saying when I listed my names, um, one thing that I don't think was mentioned from you, Fachi, on Jabari Smith, I actually, I believe it was Mike Schmitz from ESPN and Draft Express. Um, he said that Jabari Smith had some Kawhi Leonard in him as well. Whoa. So because I think everybody is projecting a great defensive player here with Jabari. And if he's able to hit from outside with that great defense, he's going to be a very, 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 intriguing player so uh i do like the better version of richard lewis mixed with some kg from kevin o'connor it's you know it's super like uh high ceiling you it's know a better powerful hit statement right there but i mean you know kg was uh you know a, an incredible defender so uh but anyway i'll move over to my pro comps here real quick as we uh <laughs> close out this part of the pod but for bon caro a lot of you guys have probably heard it blake griffin um, another name that continues uh, to come up, Carmelo Anthony. Um, two guys that you think about now, you're just like, oh, these guys are terrible. They're like on minimum contracts. But if you go back and look at when they were in their prime, 
Taylor's pretty, they're pretty special players. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I really felt like that Clippers team with Blake Griffin and Chris Paul, if they could have ever figured it out. Uh, you know, they had Doc Rivers as their coach. They had JJ Redick. I mean, it was just a really good team. DeAndre Jordan was still in his prime at that time too. I mean, there was people saying they could come out of the West. It's just, it never broke from them. They always had injuries. Carmelo Anthony, what he did his first five to seven years with Denver was impressive, Fudge. I really enjoyed Carmelo in Denver. When he went to the Knicks, I absolutely hated him. Still won so, a scoring title over there. I mean, I know. Oh, one, of, one of the best scorers in NBA history. I'm not saying that he's a top five or anything, but it can't be denied. He's he's top 20 in scoring overall. So the players that you named, I mean, yeah. yes, in 2022, these guys are just about washed. Some of yes. them, but they had phenomenal careers, many all-stars. And then, hey, your list isn't done. I know. And so some other guys, and this is going to throw it back because I don't think a lot of our newer listeners and have been really watching since like the 2010s really know this player, just know him as a terrible color and analyst. And that's Chris Weber. Uh, Chris Weber was a baller back in the day. He was Very so much. good. Uh, obviously he called a timeout for Michigan when they didn't have one. So got the technical foul, but uh, you know, Chris Weber was really good. And then Julius Randall, look, I get it. Julius Randall, that name just scares you because of how bad his year was this year. But I, I think if you look at just last year, I think these projections for him and these comparisons kind of came out after Julius Randle's All-NBA season. You kind of felt like, oh, okay, we're on to something here. Julius Randle's a really good scorer. So if you have a combination of all four of these players, it's really not a bad player, but it doesn't seem to reach the the height of a, of a you know, Kevin Garnett, Rashard Lewis, Jaron Jackson Jr., Brandon Ingram, uh, Chris Bosh, like, those names just sound better on paper, but I, I think that there's a case that, you know, aside from Kevin Garnett, you can maybe say Carmelo Anthony is the second best player on that list. Hey, I mean, Melo, third overall pick, Blake Griffin, first overall pick, Chris Weber, you know, studies third overall pick, you know, in the Penny Hardaway draft. I mean, really, you're talking about very, very talented players. Not to skip over Julius Randle, but those are three guys that I feel like, you know, you're talking about just a massive amount of all-star appearances between them. So really good players, not MVP players, but MVP, you know, potential caliber players in there. So overall, you're dealing with, you know, comparisons that are really good NBA players. So, you know, we talked about it. This draft might lack that LeBron James, maybe like Anthony Davis type player, but there's still very talented players in this draft. And these two very much might be the best two players when it's all said and done. Oh, yeah. I think there's a good case for that, Fachi. But let's go ahead and take a quick break. And when we come back, we will uh, jump into their strengths and weaknesses and other stuff like that. So we'll be right back after this. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. All right, Fachi, Mr. Uh, or should I say Mr. Sheeran, we are back. And we are here to discuss the strengths to each of these players. So I will go first here with Paula Boncaro. This is what I wrote down for him. I said he's a modern day four who is a three-level scorer. With his size, he can punish smaller defenders in the paint. He uses his soft touch in the mid-range to his advantage as he gets defenders on their heels and then hits the pull-up jumper. During the regular season, he wasn't an efficient shooter from three, but with his increased percentages in the NCAA tournament, he has proven to be accurate and reliable when it matters most. With the ball in his hands, he has all five defenders on the court watching him because at the drop of a hat, he can find the open man cutting or make the defensive uh, the defense pay for collapsing on him and hit the open man for three. The playmaking abilities of Boncaro make him tough to guard because while he might overpower his individual defender, he will make the help side defense pay. Defensively, Boncaro is smart at anticipating shots and has a quick reaction to contest shots by his opponent. He won't get bullied by an opposing wing because he has a size and strength to hold his own. At times, you could play Boncaro at the small ball five. He has a long enough wingspan and wide enough frame to play that position. So, a lot of good things are like about Boncaro, and I think most of them come from the offensive side of the basketball, Fudge. Yeah, no, there is a lot. I, I had some notes myself. So, I mean, just in addition to yours, I mean, you're talking about a guy with really good size and length, 6'10", 250. He's got that great ideal NBA frame. Moves really well with and without the ball. A solid overall, you know, all-around player. Like, it's, it's really hard to find a weakness. You talked about maybe how his three-point shooting might not be a strength. Well, in the tournament, he stepped it up. Defensively, he's better than you think. He can initiate for himself as well as others, which I, I think doesn't get enough credit. I feel like he has enough moves for his size that that he's got, you know, as as the kids love to say it, a deep bag these days. So, you know, I, I feel like there's a lot that he's bringing to the table that it really feels like there, there's not a big weakness in his game that you could really poke at and say, that scares me. Yeah, no, and I think one of the things I like about him too is like he's got the size. If he's got a smaller defender on him to take him in the post, I don't know how much Carlisle will love doing that much. I mean, we'll get to the the weaknesses here, the fit here in a little bit, but that does worry me. I know that he's pretty good from the mid-range. I'm just hoping that if they draft a guy like this, that Carlisle doesn't try to pigeonhole him into a position yeah. mm-hmm. and just lets him be himself because at this point we just need talent. But I just absolutely love his playmaking. And I think if you go back just a few years ago when the Mavericks drafted Luka Doncic, I'm not comparing the two, but one of the great things about Luka is his size, his ability to hit from three, get to the basket, but also be a playmaker. We know Luka is a great playmaker that draws a lot of the attention of the defense. You always have to pay attention to what he's doing. But one of the things that I loved about Boncaro is, you know, you might think you have him, but he'll do a jab step and then hit a jumper over you. Or if he drives, help side defense comes, he'll kick it, he'll kick it out to the wing for three. And that to me is just something that, you know, this Pacer team needs desperately. Uh, we we had some of that passing ability when Sabonis was on the team. I think he was one of our uh, a really good passing big man, but he didn't have the ability, to me anyway at least, to really put the ball on the floor and be super dominant in that way and be able to hit a pull-up jumper. His his mm-hmm. shots were more set than anything else. They were. 
So that to me is where you're like looking at a guy that can be this three level score that can do it all. Uh, and I think that is what intrigues me the most about Bon Caro. Oh, I'm very much intrigued by, by Ben Caro. I really think that he's going to be, I mean, it's hard to envision him not being a really good player in this league, but as, as we'll continue to get into that transitioning over to Jabari Smith, we're talking about an ultra talented power forward over here, an elite three point shooter, not just for his size, for any size, a guy that that's shooting, you know, over 40% from three, you mm-hmm. got to be intrigued by that. His shot looks real nice and smooth, lethal catch and shoot player. He's got over a seven foot wingspan. So you got to love that, but also, you know, solid athleticism with the, the potential to be much more once he can add to his frame. You and I have talked about it, you know, at 220, 6'10, it's not as ideal, but I feel like, hey, he's still so young. He's going to be just 19 years old, right? When the draft comes, you know, he has no problem battling above the rim. While I'd like to see him a bit more, you know, in the paint battling, there, there's, there's promise there, but a really good jump shooter. And if I could put that in capital letters, I'd love to do it. But also, really good lateral quickness from a perimeter defensive perspective. This is what a lot of people love, his ability to guard the perimeter, especially at his size. Yeah. It's something that, hey, not to take a shot at Miles Turner, but we've heard that before. That, hey, turn on the perimeter, nowhere near as ideal as, as turning the paint, you know, guarding the rim. And, hey, that he does what he does well right over here. With Jabari Smith, you're getting a good perimeter defender that I feel like can continue to develop as a rim protector. Uh, seems to take pride in guarding the other team's best scorers or creators. You gotta love that. And a good rebounder knows where the ball is going. I think he'll get better as a rebounder. The the March Madness sample size, it's too small, but I feel like he can continue to just, as he gets stronger, I think it'll only help from a rebounding perspective. Average over block and a steal per game shows that, hey, there's a lot of promise over there defensively, but like I said, the best is yet ahead. And overall, just move moves very well for his size. Um, you know, maybe not like the fastest big man, but you're not going to complain about how quick he's moving. And not, once again, not to take another shot at Turner, but do you remember when there was rumors as like, oh, he can't run? It's like, what do you mean he can't run? <laughs> I remember they, they were trying to criticize the way Miles Turner ran. And I remember being like, well, how did he make it this far? Because this guy looks like he's going to be a borderline top 10 pick and everything worked out just fine. So I don't understand how people always start those, you know, knocks on a prospect. Well, we don't have any of that here with Jabari. I'll tell you this much. Miles Turner kind of thinned out um, after his couple, you know, I first couple of years. Uh, watching some of his rookie highlights, I was watching some of the playoff series against the Cavs and Miles' rookie season, and it's kind of interesting just to see the difference in him then to what he is now as a player. And it's so fun to see how, number one, the league evolves, but how these players evolve too. And he has grown a lot in, in terms of his what his body looks like, what he's asked to do, and stuff like that. I mean, if you're looking at both of these guys here, Fachi, and their strengths, I think either one of them would be perfect fits next to Miles Turner on the basketball court. Yep. Uh, when you're talking about Jabari Smith a little bit, I think, you know, I started thinking when you brought up Turner, I thought, okay, you know, Turner played pretty good next to Thad Young, right? Mm-hmm. Thad Young was an excellent defender, but Thad Young isn't as big as Jabari Smith. So if you can maybe get the same level of defense, maybe a little bit better from Jabari that you got from Thad, while also being an offensive threat from the outside, like, man, that's that's really intriguing. It's really enticing as a fan to be like, man, I would love to see that. And it's not like I'm trying to 
lower Jabari Smith's, you know, ceiling to say, oh, he's that young with a no. shot. I'm like, no, but no. I'm just trying to think of like former Pacers in terms of like their fit with some of our guys. And, 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 you know, it's, it's just a weird thing. It might even be better to say like a mix of, well, I guess TJ Warren kind of get his own shot. That's one of the biggest things with Jabari that we're going to get here too with his weaknesses, but um, his overall strengths though, I mean, this man, he's so good defensively. Um, I, I actually find more enjoyment watching his defensive stops than watching him hit three after three after three. Um, and, and that's pretty, that's pretty telling knowing how elite of a three-point shooter he is. There are just some players. I remember I watched the Kentucky game earlier in the year, and he just had so many solid defensive plays that he just took so many shots away from Kentucky by being not just, you know, this really good perimeter defender, but he can be a rim protector at times too, Fudge. Mm -hmm. That he can. So that's why, you know, hey, I I'm excited. I would love to see that pairing this year between Turner and Jabari, but also – with Turner's contract, you know, coming up, hey, you wonder how much these guys would really get to play together or would one be kind of a little bit of a replacement for the other? I mean, it's it's very interesting stuff. But when you mentioned that Thad Young comparison, you know, a lot of times, I mean, I remember Thad shooting like, what, 33% from three, 34, like right in that area. Jabbar, you're talking about a, an over 40% shooter from three. Man, that would be fun to watch. And in today's NBA game, it, it would be very intriguing. Yeah. You ready to talk about weaknesses now? Let's do it. All right, Bon Caro, man. Um, basically, when it comes to his weaknesses, guys, it's mostly on the defensive side of the basketball. He's not a rim protector. He's not a guy that flies above the rim. So that's kind of like when you hear like the Blake Griffin pro comparison. It's like Detroit Pistons Blake, not so much like 2014 Blake with the Clippers. Right. Um, I will say this: he exerts most of his energy on the offensive end. And that can lead to him not being fully engaged defensively. So uh, he's a good rebounder, not a great one. Um, I would like to see his rebound numbers go up. I think that to me is something that's telling, like uh, maybe it was just so many different guys on that team. Mark Williams is a good rebounder. They had other players that were involved there at Duke. Uh, so I don't want to look too much into that, but still average about eight a game, not bad. Um, you know, and I think there's times where he is so busy watching the ball that he allows for offensive rebounds. So that's one thing he's going to have to work on, but that's obviously something that a lot of young players deal with. So uh doesn't have a reliable jumper yet. I, I think that it's a very streaky shot, Flatchy, and that's I've noticed that some of the tournament too, there'd be moments where he'd hit a lot and then go cold. So I think you'd like more consistency there. Um, but I think that will develop, and I think it'll be a little bit easier to develop that, you know, that shot in the NBA because we know the, the spacing is so much more open. Then in college, especially not having to worry about a zone. So, um, but yeah, like his draft com uh, comparison of Carmelo, uh, you know there's going to be stretches where the shot just doesn't fall, but you still trust him to come through when it matters the most. So, uh, for me, I would just say a lot of his weaknesses are, are things that I think really just come down to determination and hard work and, and you know, coaching, holding him accountable for the things he needs to get better from. Yeah, I was going to say, it, it's a matter of how much he wants to buy into it, because if he wants to just buy into just being a scorer, he could probably be a really good scorer, but then defensively, you're, it's always going to leave something to be desired. So I feel like in terms of my weaknesses for Ben Caro, it's continue to grow defensively. You know, don't be just a scorer. I thought he had a bit of, you know, a bit too many turnovers at times, averaged about two and a half turnovers, which I thought kind of took away from some of his passing ability. Averaged over three assists, but when you're doing two and a half turnovers, kind of negates some of that. 
but basically just continue to improve as a shooter, let alone a three-point shooter, but also from the free-throw line. You know, shot just basically 73% from the free-throw line. You know, you'd like to see that, you know, just like you mentioned. Hey, if we can crank that up to close to 80%, I mean, wow. You know, he's going to be he's gonna be able to put up some, some great numbers in the NBA. Right. All right, let's get into some of these weaknesses here with Jabari Smith. I would say needs to be more efficient, better with shot selection. This is someone who you're talking about average basically 43% from the field. That's not going to get anyone excited. Uh, the, the promise is there. I mean, look, from three-point land, talk about 42%, uh, but 43% overall is not going to cut it from the field. Far more comfortable shooter than in the post. Actually, only 12% of his shots came at the rim. That's enough to kind of scare some people. He shot 65% at the rim. Um, so you'd like to see more shots at the rim. Average just under four points per game in the paint. That mm. is just not enough for someone that is 6'10 with a seven foot, you know, seven one wingspan. So you really want to see more of that. Don't just be a really good shooter or a three-point shooter. So he's always going to have that to his game of, hey, this is a really good shooter, but he needs to develop a true post game. We talked about his usage rate, you know, 27.5%. You know, hey, that's a very healthy number, but he averaged only two assists per game. I know it's not going to be really a strength of his game, but can that continue to develop? Can you be more of a playmaker that can create your own shot, or will you need to rely on really good point guard play or being a catch-and-shoot guy, which we already know he's good at? But, hey, if you're going to be potentially a franchise-like player, you need to be able to create for yourself. Yeah, that's his biggest weakness, and I kind of have hinted at it the last couple of segments that we've done on this podcast, and I apologize for kind of showing my hand here, but at the same time, he has got to learn how to score and put the ball on the floor and get to the basket. Yep. You know, this guy can be a knockdown shooter and a great defender, but if I'm the Pacers, no offense, Clay Thompson's a great player, don't get me wrong, but I want more than a seven-foot Clay Thompson. We don't have a Steph Curry and a Draymond Green on this team. We need something better than that, so... So, you know, I, I love Klay Thompson, what he has done for that Warriors team, especially during their prime years. Obviously, he's not the same person now that he once was after coming back from those two injuries. But I'll say this. If he can learn how to put the ball on the floor, I'm not even worried about him being a playmaker as much, Fachi, as I am about him just being able to score in different ways because right now it does not feel like he's a three-level scorer. Um, I think that's where Boncaro has him a little bit offensively yep. is just the different iterations that he can score with on the floor in the post, taking a smaller defender. From the mid-range. I mean, Jabari Smith is a great, great, great shooter. You hope that with better guard play, like a Halliburton, um, even Chris Duarte at times, obviously Buddy Hill, TJ McConnell, these are guys, if Malcolm Brogdon stays on the team, these are all guys that I think will help him in the long run. But we know that the NBA, while we're seeing centers win uh, MVP and stuff like that, and Jokic and, and, and Embiid being an MVP candidate, these are unicorn and these are unicorn centers. This is still uh, a perimeter driven league. We're seeing guys like Devin Booker, Jason Tatum, uh, Luka Doncic, all these guys that are in that younger group right there be outside scores and, but they do it in more ways than one. So I think that is where Jabari is going to really have to step up his game is just continue to learn how to score in the, uh, in the NBA and not just be a catch and shoot guy. Yeah, I mean, no one is looking for to draft just a catch-and-shoot guy at, at, you know, anywhere from first, second, or third overall. I, I just feel like right over there, it's just you need more. I love the defensive potential that's there. I, I think that the groundwork is already there for sure. Continue to build on it, but 
you know, by no means is he a finished product. I think when we get into it, you know, I do think maybe Paulo looks a bit, bit more NBA ready right now that if you were to throw him on the court, he's got, he's got the body. I feel like you'll know, Hey, you're going to get a score out of him. Jabari. I, I do think the potential is, is sky high, but Hey, it might take a little bit. Yeah. And, and here's what I'll say about Jabari in terms of like not overlooking um, what he does defensively, because I think defensively he can be really special and offensively sure he needs to get better, but Think about how some of these guys come into the league just so raw and they have to work their way through it. I mean, I think Giannis is a perfect example, obviously drafted 15th, very young prospect out of Greece. Look at what he is now. I'm not saying Jabari is going to be Giannis, but I'm just going to say it took him a couple of years to really develop into a player. And now, um, you know, even in the postseason, we, we saw last year, like Giannis took leaps and bounds in the postseason because of his ability to finally knock down his free throws. He was hitting threes on occasion. Um, but with that massive frame, he was just able to barrel people over and get to the basket. And with that wingspan, it's just incredibly difficult to stop him. And defensively, he was lights out. So uh, I don't think Giannis is going anywhere uh, for a long time. The next five to 10 years, probably in the Eastern Conference, still going to be a pretty dominant player. Um, but I think Jabari Smith might give the Pacers the best chance uh, in terms of like who they've had on the roster previously to guard someone like that. Not saying that he's going to be like lights out or anything, but um, we saw how terrific Scotty Barnes was defensively this season as a rookie. Very much. Mm -hmm. I think I think the same things can translate for Jabari, but you know they said, "Oh, Scotty, you know he's not a three point shooter." Well, you know I don't remember. I don't know what his numbers ended up being, but he won Rookie of the Year. So <laughs> and they try to poke holes in everyone's game, it, and I remember they try to make it seem like don't touch Scotty Barnes. Like yeah. he could do everything but score. Well, that guy averaged 15 points per game, shot 49% from the field. Yeah, the three-point percentage wasn't good. It was 30%, but at the same yeah. point, the man was rookie of the year, and rightfully so. This was from day one through the season. Scotty Barnes was very impressive. But one thing that right. you said that I, I think we need to touch on is Giannis uses his body to barrel through defenders. Well, Giannis didn't come into the league with that body. No. He was like a string bean, like as skinny as anyone can, can possibly be coming into the league. And he put on muscle. He put on size. And now he, he is the total package. You know, he's still growing from a three-point percentage. But Jabari Smith, it, it's understood, hey, he's going to need time to put on some muscle. And once he does, it's, it's going to help his game tremendously. But for right now, yeah, he doesn't quite have the NBA weight to him. Uh, but I, I think as time goes on, remember, he's just – he's still technically 18 years old. His birthday is later this week. So he's going to be freshly 19 by the draft with endless potential to grow. Absolutely, Fachi. So uh, let's move on here now and discuss the pros and cons to why we would or would not like the Pacers to draft him. Do you want me to go first with Von Carroll? Sure. All right. Um, so really, I would love Boncure on this Pacers team because they desperately need another ball handler and offensive initiator with Halliburton. Um, now that's a bonus is gone. There is more room to operate on the inside and touches for a player with his size to go to work. So this is where I like the size of Boncure and his, you know, ability to play with his back to the basket to a certain extent. Um, overall, though, I just know that Boncure can create his own shot. He can create for others and has proven multiple times that he can deliver on the offensive end when counted on. So, sure, I do worry about his defense overall, but with a good scheme and experience coaching in Rick Carlisle, um, I'm hoping that Boncaro 
fully buys in on that end, and that helps elevate his status in the NBA. So I would say he's a lead offensively, but a lot to be desired defensively. Yeah, I would say for Boncaro, I would just say, look, feel, and all, all of that was great points that you made, especially mm-hmm. with Sabonis being gone. I, I really do feel like it left a hole that the Pacers still need to fill in terms of, and I do think that a guy like Paolo can grow into, you know, he'll, he'll be his own player. We're not saying he's the next Sabonis, but that passing ability right over there, there there's a lot that, you know, the Pacers still need to add to. And I think he's a guy that can get that done. But as it relates to Boncaro, you know, the pros for joining the Pacers, Look, I feel like he feels like a great fit as a modern four. We've been searching to fill that four spot for quite some time, ever since TJ Warren was healthy, which feels like a lifetime ago. Uses his size and can bang down low. I mean, really, I mean, I, I feel like that's something he takes advantage of. That's something that, you know, you want to see more out of the current Pacers. But I feel like with Boncaro, it's just a little bit more natural. Uh, his passing ability, I, I think that, just like you mentioned with Sabon- uh, Sabonis, Losing him, I feel like that's someone that could fill that void. Um, overall, I would say I think that he's probably the safest pick in the draft, in my opinion. Mm. I, I find it hard to believe that Paulo would be a bust by any means or just like a bench player or anything. He feels, in my mind, NBA ready. No, I definitely agree with that. Did you have any negatives to him? The cons, look, I didn't want to be like an old man poking holes just like they did at Scotty Barnes and others, but I would just say, hey, can he can he commit defensively? Yeah, Other that's, than that, that's the biggest concern for both that, of us. That, that's that's it. It's just can you do that? Because I do think with everybody, hey, you're shooting, it will come. People get better. Sometimes it takes years and years and years. He's still young enough to the point where it's not like we're looking at three years of college work being like, this guy just can't flat out shoot at all. We even saw him get better in the tournament, just like we touched on. <laughs> right, and I, I will say this about Boncaro too. Defensively, I think you have to be a little bit intrigued by what he can become because we'll go back to it all the time, but he's got the perfect body for a good defender, right? Mm-hmm. I think he's got to be a little bit quicker on his feet. The lateral movement's got to be better, but I think he's got a high IQ, for uh, especially on the offensive end. And I think that's one thing where I'll compare Sabonis here. I think Sabonis, while he was a bad defender overall, he had a really high basketball IQ, and that basketball IQ, you know, kind of helped make his defense not as bad, even though it wasn't great. Uh, I'm not trying to diss Sabonis too much here, right? But we know that, like, he was a smart basketball player, and he saw things kind of happen before they happened. So that helped him with anticipation, and sometimes he got lucky. But there were some times when he had some big blocks on some plays, or he would be able to sniff out a rebound when they needed a rebound really badly on that side of the, of the court. So I think those are some areas where he might not be as polished on the defensive side. His basketball IQ could come in and play a factor. Very well could, and, and that that's something that goes a long way. You're never going to see that in the box score. But, mm. hey, guys with a strong IQ, I mean, <laughs> look at Jokic. I mean, look, we're not when we bring up these names, we're not saying, oh, this is who it's going to be. But Jokic basketball IQ is phenomenal. Through the and roof. Is, and that is what has, you know, helped offset not looking like the most physically fit specimen or anything of the sort. But, hey, being a smart basketball player can go a long way. Yeah. But, Jabari Smith for, you know, the pros of why I feel that he would be a good fit on the Pacers. It's, hey, with Turner set to hit free agency, look, if you're on the fence about it, this guy could be your replacement over there. An elite shooting big man that defensively has a massive amount of promise over there that I really feel that can develop into a really good two-way player. Uh, and that that's really important in this league because there's not enough of them. Now, not one individual player could ever 
or make up for, you know, Miles' rim protection. But offensively, I feel like there's a lot of, you know, similarities in terms of their, their shooting capabilities. While I feel that, you know, Jabari, you know, is just still scratching the surface, I think that he has more of the, the capability to develop into a franchise player rather than being, you know, hey, just a just a, a really good three-point shooter. He'll be freshly turned 19 in May, so there's a ton of potential for him to continue to grow. He shot 46.5% from three on the right and left wings. So it's not like it's just, hey, this guy's got one really good spot. Hey, either side, doesn't matter. Carlisle wants to shoot more threes. Spacing-wise, I think Jabari can help work, you know, phenomenally while also being able to play with Isaiah Jackson, who I feel like can, you know, maybe more stick to inside rather than, you know, we still want him to continue to develop his three-point shot. But, hey, that's for another story. Halliburton. Halliburton, Halliburton, right over here. I feel like this is the perfect point guard to get him the most and the best looks. We talked about Jabari Smith maybe not being able to, you know, create his own shot as well. Well, hey, if you're that good of a player, then you got to be able to have the right pieces around him. And I feel that Tyrese Halliburton is maybe the best point guard to be able to get, you know, the most out of him or when you're, when you're the Pacers, by far, that's the guy that you look and say, hey, we can make something out of this or we can get the most out of this player. He's a really good perimeter defender while still averaging over a block and only committing two fouls per game. Mm. So it's not like this was someone who, who you know, dealt with foul trouble or really, you know, went after every block and, and racked up foul trouble. Just two fouls per game. I, I thought that that was really nice to see. And like I mentioned before, having a usage rate as high as he did, 27.5%. Average just below two turnovers. I really like that. Yeah, those are all great points. And I think, you know, I like your point about Halliburton being able to get him the best looks because that's what Halliburton does. He's always looking. He's got his head on a swivel looking for guys to get them open shots. And, yeah, it's uh, – I don't know. It's so hard to figure out what they're going to do with Turner. Uh, I know that the last couple of years we've done Turner Fake Trade podcast. I think we're going to just hold off on that until we see what happens in the offseason because – Anything's up for grabs here, right, Anything. Flash? But who knows uh, what's going down? I, I people get so mad at me when I bring that stuff up. So I'm just going to refrain from Miles Turner trade ideas. So fair warning, if you guys are listening, don't have to worry about that. We will do Brogdon once. Don't worry, we're coming up with that soon. But uh, but anyway, yeah, back to Jabari. I, I, I think for me, what I love so much about the, the the pros to him, he is a perfect fit for Rick Carlisle and what Rick Carlisle wants to do. This is where I can see. If, it's, if they get the first pick in the draft for some reason by winning the lottery, like against all odds, right, and they have to pick between the two, I can see them saying, look, Paulo might be more ready now, but Jabari, we need to improve our defense. Jabari does that. We like to play a perimeter style of offense. Jabari does that better. Um, we also, I also can see them saying that they feel like Jabari and Turner could be a really good fit together. So, uh, with his size too, maybe there's some time as you can play Jabari at the small ball five too, even if he is a little bit undersized weight wise, just for matchup purposes. So I can see them talking themselves into him over Paolo in terms of how the, they fit the style of play Carlisle wants to play. So that is where I think me and you are really in alignment there. He could make more sense just because of Carlisle's system. It very well could. I mean, I, I think it's going to take some time. Uh, overall, I mean, when you brought up, you know, maybe being NBA ready, I think if you ask me who's going to win rookie of the year between these two players, I'd say Paulo. I really do think that he could step in day one and be able to produce. But when you then talk about who can continue to maybe grow into more, that's when the debate gets very fun. So, 
you know, both players, I, I think, are extremely promising um, in terms of maybe my cons. Yeah. For, for Jabari, I would say could end up being just a really good three-point shooter who shows promise defensively. And we need more than that. You know, you don't want to just take a guy who's, hey, this is a, a 6'10 big man that doesn't play like a big man. But he's a really good shooter, though, because then it's like, oh, man, you know, there's <laughs> – you can find that in other places. I mean, right now, hey. Channing Fry. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Channing <laughs> Fry, like, look, Turner can be a really good three-point shooter at times, but we're looking at, you know, to get more of a – we're swinging for a true franchise guy. So, um, you know, you want him to be more than just potentially a, a second option, and I think he can only be able to do that if he can create for himself. So that's something that needs to be – you know, developed. He has to be able to put the, put the ball on the floor a little bit more, more than just one or two dribbles and really be able to get to the rim. I feel like he's got to develop more of a post game. He's got to get to the rim. I talked about how, you know, just 12% of his shots were at the rim. That is way too low, especially in college where most of the time at 6'10", you're the biggest guy on the court. So lastly, shot selection needs to improve, needs to. Rarely are potential number one picks you know, right around that 43% from the field mark. So, uh, you know, that's something I definitely want to see improve. I feel confident that he will be able to translate his game to the NBA with better guard play. I really believe that, Fachi. So that's, uh, that's where I'm at with that. So let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about where the mock drafts have each of these guys following, uh, following, excuse me, following. Why do I keep saying that? Falling. Man, I can't talk. And then we're going to share what range we would uh, we would select each player in the upcoming draft. We've also got some interesting quotes and some facts about these players, and then we're going to give our overall thoughts. So we'll be right back after this. All right, Fachi, let's jump right into it. So we're going to talk here about what the mock drafts are saying. Let me know what they're saying about these two guys. I, I mean, first to third for both players feels to be like that exact range. I know the Pacers were we were hoping, man, if we get to that top four, I think if you're at four, neither player is going to be there. I really do think that these guys could either be first or second, but there's an option at third depending on where Chet falls. Yeah, so we looked at – we both looked up seven different, you know, websites that have mock drafts up. Boncaro fell to third four times. He was second twice, and only once was he drafted first on these mock drafts. So Jabari though, he was the first overall pick in three of these mock drafts. He was second three times and then just third once. So it seems like a lot of these mock drafts have Jabari just a slight bit higher than Boncaro when it comes to the NBA. So uh, for where me and Faji want to see these, where we have them range wise, I mean, it's pretty obvious. We're going to go with the experts here. First and third. I don't think there's really anything else to say to that Faji. No, I don't think there is. I mean, Hey, it's a, it's, it's a range where it shows even in our best scenario, if the Pacers move up just a pick, it ain't going to do it. We really need to be moving up in this lottery if we want any chance at either player. All right, I'm going to read a couple of interesting quotes on the players discussed here. So I found some of these quotes on Moncaro. I thought that was interesting. Uh, Pit All-American Aaron Gray said this about Paul at CBS Sports. He is a coach's dream. His willingness to want to improve when he is already at such a high level is impressive to a guy like me. He's got a cool and calm demeanor. Fran Fischilla, you guys know him uh, from ESPN's draft. Uh, he's a draft analyst. He said that he is a modern-day Carmelo Anthony with three levels of scoring. Um, Coach K said, Paulo, a couple of his moves where you could see it on his face. He said, holy mackerel, I can't believe I coached that guy. So that was uh, pretty impressive. And then there was one tweet that I saw 
that I thought was interesting. And this one came from the box and one. They said at halftime of every recent Duke game, the answer for Coach K's team has always seemed to be more Paulo Boncaro. Honestly, that may be as ringing of an endorsement as you find for a college kid. So, so good offensively. Gotta love it. I mean, those, those will get you fired up. Um, you know, someone, I wish I had the name for this, but someone from ESPN said this about Jabari Smith, said Smith is a hardworking, eminently coachable young man who understands professional standards because his dad logged four seasons in the league and taught him the ropes. Expect Jabari to develop his ball handling in the coming years because it's one of the few flaws of his game. And I'll have the ball on his hands often because this kid can be your team's point forward. Oh, wow. So you got to love that. Projection. Exactly. You got to love that because we talked about the knock on being able to create for himself. But hey, if he can create for others, whoo. Kevin O'Connor, we talked about this a little bit before, said shades of two way Rashard Lewis. They also has him as a taller Harrison Barnes, a Michael Porter Jr. And the same article later added some of the clutch shots he's made this year look awfully like Kevin Durant. I didn't want to so, say it, but I felt the same I, way. I, I, I did not want to give him that claim because. You start going to players <laughs> like that, and all of a sudden, they can never live up to it. Um, so, lastly, another person from ESPN, another analyst said, on the other end of the court, his defense is excellent, powered by a relentless motor and solid fundamentals. He's a natural rebounder, and those long arms give him fantastic shot-blocking capabilities. And he's still growing, folks. His frame can and will pack on more muscle, and he'll need the extra oomph to, to bully in the paint against NBA bodies. Yeah, no, I think those are all great quotes. And I mean, for us, this is our consensus, number one and number two. We haven't flip-flopped on our Pacer-centric big board. So uh, I will say this, overall thoughts on each prospect, just to kind of put a bow on this thing, Flatchy. I think, I, I just I just feel like looking at both players, part of me feels like Jabari has a higher ceiling. That's how I feel. I, I really feel like year one, Paulo's going to be the better player, more likely to win rookie of the year. He's going to put up better stats. Overall, I do think Jabari has that higher ceiling due to being an elite shooter who's also a good defender. Like the defensive capabilities are already there. The shooting's already there. The rest feels like, hey, put on more size, you know, continue to just get a better point guard that can put you in better situations. I mean, so many things. I mean, how many point guards were, I mean, I, I don't know Auburn's point guard off the top of my head, but how many times was he able to really get Jabari the ball in traffic or anything like that? I mean, Halliburton's vision is fantastic. So, yeah. overall, I mean, both players, extremely special talents. As it relates to Paolo, I, I really love his scoring capabilities. I really do. Higher ceiling, Jabari Smith, safer player, Paolo. That's how I view it. Yeah, I mean, honestly, if you even just look at last year's draft, it was a loaded class at the top. And some people said, well, Cade Cunningham really came on strong. He should have been rookie of the year. Uh, some people even said the same thing about Evan Mobley. You know, he should have been rookie of the year. And I think he was the front runner for a while until mm -hmm. he got hurt. The Cavs started slipping. He didn't play as well without Jared Allen. And then you saw the Raptors kind of catapult in the standings, which helped, I think, Scotty Barnes' case overall. Uh, he was playing. He was uh, a big pivotal part of that team's success. But the fact that they jumped the Cavs in the standings, I think that helped push him just a little bit over Mobley. If they had been in different conferences, I don't think it would have mattered as much. But I think because they were in the same conference, that did mess with the voters' minds. So um, that's just my thoughts, though. That's just my opinion. But overall, I can kind of see that same thing happening here. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder, Michael Scotto. That, that phrase will never get out of my head now. I love it. 
I love it. I, I do. But I really think that's kind of where it comes down to. What do you want the most? What do you value the most? I think both these guys are going to be great NBA players. And that's why it's so hard to sit here and say, I want this, I want that. But I will say this. The reason why I think I would rather have Paulo is because of the playmaking. I think the Pacers desperately need that. I feel like there is enough shooting guy. There's a guys. There's enough guys out there that can shoot the basketball and play elite level defense. I don't know if any of them will reach the level maybe of what Jabari can become, but I still think there's guys that can easily do what he does in terms of being a good three point shooter and playing good defense compared to having that all around offensive game. You just don't see that a lot from from prospects. And I, I mean in the NBA, I mean there's just to the fact that he shot so well from three in, in the tournament really has me intrigued by Paulo's ceiling as well. Yeah, it really does. I mean, Vaccaro, I, I do think is going to be a stud offensively in this league. I mean, there might be a chance that he is, is so good offensively that maybe doesn't put the stock in defensively. But then there's also the chance that Jabari Smith maybe never really hits his full potential. You know, maybe it's that he has that higher ceiling, but is it really attainable? I do think it is, um, but it's going to take some time. If the Pacers didn't have Tyrese Halliburton, I would probably say, hey, let's just go for the safer thing right over here. But I am still extremely torn. You know, in this situation, hey, a coin flip could could make me feel like, all right, someone else made the decision for me. But you know what? This is why front office gets paid the big bucks because – you know, you got to go with the guy long-term that can develop into a star. Uh, and, you know, maybe that's Jabari, but from day one, I think Paul is going to hit the ground running. Man, I, I, I want, I'm just going to stick with my gut, stick yeah. with Jabari. And, you know, I know you went with Paul the other week. And, uh, you know, this is going to be fun to watch these two players develop. I just hope that the Pacers have the choice to pick between the two. That's all That's all that matters. So, Fachi, and, and if they don't, yeah, go ahead. whoever's yeah. left, I'm, so, I'm fine with it. All right, quickly tell us where they can find us at on social media. All right, so you can find us on Twitter at SettingThePace3. You can find Alex on Twitter at AlexGoldenNBA. I can be found on Twitter at underscore F-A-C-C-I. You can find us on Instagram at PacersTalk. You can find us on Facebook at SettingThePace. You can find us on TikTok at SettingThePace. If you're hoping the Pacers get a top three pick in this year's draft, say these three words. Let's go Pacers! I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.